Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. welcome all of you to our virtual webinar today entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, the Federal Reserve's Response and their Attempt to Contain the Economic Damage Related to COVID-19. Before we get started, I want to go over just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, this session is being recorded. There will be a link posted in 48 hours where you could watch this again or share it with your friends if you so desire. And second of all, um, everyone is on mute except for those of us that are uh, delivering uh, these remarks. Um, importantly, we want this to be an inter interactive experience with you, uh, our listeners. If you look at the right-hand corner of your screen, you will see a question and answer box where you can uh, go ahead throughout the program and type in the questions that you would like to have answered. We're going to reserve about 20 minutes at the tail end of this to answer as many of those questions as we possibly can. And you'll actually see a few questions that we've already entered that we would like you to think about uh, either now or throughout the, uh, this uh, discussion and feel free to answer your, or put in your feedback uh, there. So joining me today, uh, and I invite uh, my colleague Norbert Michelle uh, to join me on screen now. Uh, joining me is my colleague Norbert Michelle. He is an economist at the Heritage Foundation. He's the director. Uh, hello, Norbert, how are you doing? Great. Nor Norbert is the director of the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. Um, and with that, um, I actually want to uh, give you an opportunity to, uh, to take a look at a poll um, that you can feel free to answer. Um, so if you back up 10 years ago, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, was also in the news quite a bit. Uh, they created uh, quite a bit of lending programs and created quite a bit of fiat currency 10 years ago. Um, at about a, about a trillion dollars worth over a year period. So with that in mind, how much do you think that the Federal Reserve has increased its balance sheet since the beginning of March 2020? Just a two month period, 500 billion, a trillion, a trillion and a half, two trillion or two and a half trillion? Enter your answers over the next minute or so and we will have that answer for you by the end of today's show. So uh, in an attempt to mitigate the massive economic damage that we've seen in the wake of COVID-19 with the shutdowns that we've seen across entire states and, and cities, the Federal Reserve has injected um, a large amount of money into the economy in order to stave off a full-on uh, collapse. The, the details are quite complex. The programs that the Federal Reserve has instituted are quite novel and the risks um, associated with that are, are elevated, and many of those risks are unknown. And that is why uh, we wanted to have this session today so that we could get really a grasp on what some of those um, problems uh, are. 
So uh, one of the, the, the fundamental um, uh, foundational aspects of the Federal Reserve is understanding its role. And it's often said that the, the role of the Fed is to ensure liquidity to solvent institutions. It's a pretty simple sentence, but there's a lot of detail to unpack there. And first, we have to understand what is the difference between liquidity and solvency. And uh, I thought, uh, Norbert, we could open up by you explaining to our, to our listeners, what is the difference between solvency and liquidity? So that's, that's cool. That works, Joel. I can do that. Uh, it's a fine line, but if you are a firm or any commercial company and you're in business and you're regularly making money and you have customers coming in and you're profitable, it might be the case that some of those customers pay you slowly. And if they pay you slowly, more slowly than you need them to, then you are going to be illiquid. So you don't have a lot of cash laying around to pay your suppliers. That's liquidity. You need cash laying around. And if you don't have it, you're illiquid. But if you expect to get it really soon, you're still solvent. You're still profitable. So the insolvent version of that is where you don't have any cash laying around and you really don't think any's coming anytime soon. <laughs> and your, um, your, your assets, which you actually have on hand, is worth less than what you expect to keep coming in. So that would be an insolvent version of that. So you could have a situation where a company is solvent, meaning that they have more assets than liabilities, but if that access to credit dries up, you could actually have, um, you, you could actually have that company that was solvent because of the illiquidity become insolvent. That's right. That's right. And that's why there's such a fine line. So you, you could be perfectly solvent and then run into liquidity trouble. And then that could push you into trouble, push you into insolvency. Uh, and that's not a good situation. And if it from the standpoint of a bank or the Fed, if they're lending to an insolvent firm, well, then they're not expecting to get their money back. So that's why you don't want them to lend to the insolvent firm. Uh, the trick, of course, is knowing the difference. <laughs> And uh, when it comes to knowing the difference and ensuring that solvent companies do remain liquid so we don't end up with a rash of insolvent companies, what are some of the ways in which the Federal Reserve has traditionally ensured that that economic problem does not develop in a time when people are fearful and banks might be very hesitant to lend? Sure. Traditionally, what has happened is that the Fed with the rare exception of the New Deal era, the Fed has only lent money to banks. Um, and then in the 08 crisis, financial institutions. Um, and in, in that case, the Fed has examiners in these institutions uh, checking their books regularly, knowing as much as possible about the loans and other federal regulators doing that as well, knowing as much about the bank's business as they can possibly know so that they can make a good judgment call uh, on whether that, whether that bank is actually insolvent or just illiquid. Um, the problem recently, of course, part, partly during the 08 financial crisis and then now, is that if the Fed is going to lend directly to commercial firms, which, and I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but if they're gonna start lending directly to commercial firms, they actually have no way in the world of knowing whether those firms are insolvent or just illiquid. Uh, so that becomes a problem. And then you could even make the case that um, in the traditional sense, when they're lending to banks, that they don't really know 
that those banks are just illiquid and not insolvent. They're, they're doing the best they can to make that decision, but they haven't always been that good at it. And not, not because of any strict Fed fault, but because it's very difficult to do. Uh, uh, so I have two questions related to that. Now, number one, how does the Fed actually lend? Where does that money come from? And second of all, what is the danger um, if the Fed were to lend to an insolvent um, entity? Well, the money comes from a computer in the sense that all they do is credit somebody's account. Uh, it's really that simple. So that's the, the modern version of printing money. Um, you could imagine if they were going to actually run a printing press and, and lend somebody money by just giving them a big wad of cash. Well, instead of just giving them the big wad of cash, they have an account and they just type in some extra numbers and there you have the money. And that is where a Fed loan comes from. It's, that's it. There's nothing more to it than that. Um, they don't have to go get reserves from anywhere or backing from anywhere or assets from anywhere, okay from anywhere. That's all they do. It sounds a bit like uh, the bank when you play Monopoly. If the bank were to go ahead and just uh, indiscriminately or more loosely hand out some of the currency um, to the to the players. Yeah, and and in theory, it works even better for the Fed because there's no uh, you know they're not going to run out of hundreds or five hundreds. They mm. all they, they they can they can type in as much as they want in theory. Uh, and then of course the risk on that is if they do too much of that. Um, there will be a lot more money in the economy and that that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, and then the risk on the lending side is just like it part, partly just like a bank in that if they don't get paid back, if they lend to the insolvent version of those companies, they're not going to get their money back, the money that they lent. But of course it is a little bit different than a private bank because the private bank doesn't just create the money without having to answer to anybody like the Fed does. Um, so it, if, in all honesty, if the Fed did this for one bank and, you know, it was a couple billion dollars and the bank went, went bust and they didn't get their billion dollars back, it probably wouldn't make much of a difference. But when they do this economy wide for trillions of dollars for many, many different businesses and banks, now we're talking about something very different. Um, and in, in the current case, what we're talking about is the risk that the Fed uh, has to go back to Treasury or back to Congress and say, we have no surplus left, we have no capital left, we need an injection of capital, otherwise we have no credibility left. And that's a little in the weeds, but that's, those are the long-term risk. The inflation risk uh, by creating too much money, by making too many of those loans and losing too much money um, by lending to too many insolvent firms. So I think that, that dovetails into something that the chair of the Federal Reserve, uh, Chairman Powell said uh, just this week. He said, this is quote, the Federal Reserve has lending power, but not spending power. So can you right. unpack that a bit and explain what he meant by that and why that distinction is even important if the Fed can just go ahead and create um, currency at will? Yeah, I can't speak to his motive. <laughs> Um, and is the, the way I took that is him trying to kind of uh, deflect because he's right. 
um, Congress has spending power, the Fed does not have spending power. So the Fed can't appropriate money and spend taxpayer money somewhere. Um, all they can do is lend, like we talked about a minute ago, where they decide they're going to give somebody some money and they have an account and they type in a bunch of numbers and give you some money. That's what the Fed can do. Um, the distinction is important in the sense that um, Congress has the power of the purse and um, they're, they're not supposed to spend more than Congress. Well, let me back up. Congress has the power of the purse. They're supposed to be the ones spending other people's money, not the Fed, right? Yeah. But I think what Powell is trying to say is, whoa, we're not getting into that stuff. We're not, we're not telling people how to spend. We're not sending money out for government programs. We're not doing any of that stuff. All we do is lend some money. And that would have been legitimate in the past. I don't think he can actually make that case legitimately right now, though which I guess we'll get into some of that, but. Yeah, it, it sounds as if there's a, really an accountability issue here where if the federal mm -hmm. government, for instance, is deciding to make a loan to a company individual, we actually see that on our federal balance sheets and they either have to borrow the money or tax the money from us. Whereas if the That's central right. bank does it, they might get the same result, right? They're, they're infusing capital into an institution, but yet the politicians don't have to raise the debt ceiling or borrow the That's money right. and the cost might be pushed out into the future in a way that most of us might not recognize, might not be able to connect the dots. That's right. It's a very stealthy off budget sort of item uh, if it's in, in any sort of systematic fashion, which is kind of what's going on now. And it's very dangerous for the Fed in just in the sense that it takes away their policy independence. They're supposed to be setting monetary policy, not fiscal policy. And I think that's where Powell was going with that. But if you constantly do this on a wide scale, you can no longer legitimately claim that you're not involved in fiscal policy. Are, are there any examples in the, the recent past, uh, in, in the past, say, 20 years, where we've seen a central bank go from um, just setting monetary policy to actually taking over that fiscal role, and what were some of those uh, results? Well, the, yeah, the last the last example that we have in the last few decades would be, and the best, um, I, I, I want to say only, definitely the best would be the in the two thousand eight financial crisis. Uh, a lot of a lot of the same stuff that you see now you saw back then, not all of it, but some of it. Um, but so, for example, the Fed creating um and an LLC to go ahead and, and complete a merger of Bear Stearns with JP Morgan and you know here's 30 billion dollars like that's that's an example <laughs> um and buying a whole bunch of mortgage backed insurance uh, I'm sorry mortgage backed securities of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um you know that's not a congressional appropriation that allowed them to do that they just went ahead and bought a bunch of these financial assets um, and took their their balance sheet up several trillion dollars. Normally, traditionally, if Congress was going to say bail out Fannie Mae or the investors in Fannie Mae uh, by making them good on their securities, well, then you would see an appropriation from Congress, and Congress would say, well, we're gonna we're gonna have to spend this this 800 billion dollars. So here's our bill. Pass our bill, the president signs it, then we're going to go and 
either raise, take money from taxpayers directly or borrow some money and we're going to spend it. The Fed is just doing it on their own without that appropriation process. So I guess with that foundation in mind, let's go to the current situation. And uh, you've written extensively um, on the developments over the past few months. So let's start with what the Federal Reserve initially did um, back the tail end of February into March. Um, you, you've actually had some kind words uh, for the Federal Reserve's yeah. early actions. Can you talk about what those actions were? And then can you give um, an overall rating on those actions uh, for, for those initial steps that they took? Sure. I mean, the easy part is the rating. I mean, in the initial step, in the initial phase, uh, I'd have to say it was an A. I mean, and whereas in the 08 crisis, they got an F. Um, they they did a t they bungled that completely. But in this crisis, they did exactly what they should have done, which was provide a lot of liquidity to the market widespread. They slashed their target interest rate. They injected directly, injected a whole bunch of liquidity into the market, buying treasuries. They did repo operations, which are essentially the same thing, where they put a lot of cash in the market to the, to the primary dealers and the, um, uh, the repo dealers. And it was, they, and they signaled, uh, we're in a liquidity crisis. We don't know exactly what's going on, but things are freezing up. Money markets are freezing up. We're going to put a lot of liquidity out there in the market. And we're going to slash reserve rates, um, we're going to do everything we can so that all these banks that are sitting on capital and reserves can get it out into the market where it's needed. And that is exactly what they should have done. Exactly what they should have done. And, and to give some color, sorry, I lost you there. Uh, and to give some color on that, when we're talking about injecting liquidity or buying treasuries, really that's, that, that allows banks to have more cash on hand to lend rather than have that money stuck in treasuries. If somebody comes to a bank and asks for a loan, the, the bank's not gonna right. give them a treasury bill. You want capital. That's right. And by the Fed going, the going ahead and doing that liquidity, they replace the treasury bills with cash that now they can lend out to people that demand it. That's right. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And they, I guess well, there were some issues where they, they did a little bit of haphazard rolling out these different liquidity programs. But I mean, overall, they did they did the right thing. Um, so I guess let's uh, let's get to some of the the let me say the negatives, but there are some some deeply troubling aspects. Um, after those early weeks of taking those traditional measures, uh, the Federal Reserve really embarked on creating an alphabet soup of of lending programs. I'm not even going to go through the uh, all the acronyms, although I think we'll pop them up on the screen here. Uh, but they created the digital currency, transferred a lot of funds to a variety uh, of entities, bought a lot of debt, bought a lot of assets. Um, could you go ahead and uh, give a brief uh, explanation of some of those um, new lending facilities that are now on the screen uh, that the Federal sure. Reserve created over the past month and a half? Sure. So the first one, primary market corporate credit facility, that is where the Federal Reserve goes and buys bonds directly from corporate customers so if you have somebody like john deere they want to issue bonds normally they would issue bonds and people like you me people are audi in our audience would just go buy a bond like you just go to a bond dealer and buy a bond um and that is a loan to john deere simple well the fed has not traditionally been involved in that process at all and now with this PMCCF, they will buy directly from those companies. So they are lending companies money. 
commercial companies money directly through that process. Um, the, the next one, the secondary market corporate credit facility is that it's, it's similar, but in this case, when we say they're on the secondary market, it's not the, it's not that John Deere has just issued this bond. It's that John Deere issued this bond sometime in the past. It could have been months ago, years ago, whatever. And the Fed's going to go and buy that bond. So it doesn't have the same effect by directly giving John Deere money, but it does provide some relief to John Deere because ultimately, who do they have to pay back? Well, they have to pay back the Fed. And everybody knows that the real reason that this is what's going on is that if they get in trouble and the Fed can say, well, don't worry about it, you don't have to pay us back. Private bank's not gonna do that. A private bond dealer's not gonna do that. And a private investor's not gonna do that without illegal action. It's a big difference with the Fed. Um, and then, so then the, I'll go to the last one next, the municipal liquidity facility. This is where they're doing the, the same sort of thing that we just described with John Deere, except that they're lending uh, by buying bonds and short-term debt of state and local governments. So the same principle applies. The Fed's now holding those bonds. What's gonna happen if, say, the city of New York says, oh, we can't, we can't pay you back? The question becomes, is the Fed really going to say, well, we're going to foreclose on the city of New York or we're going to take you to court? I don't think anybody expects that to happen. Everybody expects some kind of deal to be worked out where the city of New York doesn't have to pay as much as they would have otherwise had to pay. Uh, and then the one that's second from the bottom, the Main Street, Main Street Business Lending Program, uh, that is a little bit different. It encompasses a few different pieces, at least two different pieces, but effectively it is the Fed lending money directly to firms and not by buying their bonds, just by giving them loans. Um, most of that facility would work through a bank. So a bank would maybe originate the loan, but the funds would come directly from the Fed and the Fed would retain sort of uh, ownership in a big chunk of the loan. Um, so then the same principle applies as to what happens down the road with uh, the, the possibility of a customer not repaying the loan. Well, what's gonna happen? Well, they're gonna owe the bank something and they're gonna owe the Fed something and the bank is going to owe the Fed something. So what is, the, what is the reason to have the Fed do this instead of the bank to do this? Well, it's not because the, the bank can't give you cash quickly, it's because if something goes wrong, everybody's going to expect some kind of haircut and they don't wanna crater the banking system. And the Fed, in theory, has all the money you need and all the money they need, and it doesn't matter if you don't pay them back, they can just print more. Uh, th thank you for that rundown, Norbert. I know there's there's a lot there. Uh, I think one one of the more interesting uh, things that's come up the past month is that we saw a lot of controversy over an unrelated program um, through the Small Business Administration where they're loaning uh, money directly to businesses. And there's a lot of controversy because a few publicly traded companies such as Shake Shack took $20, 30000000 million worth of loans or Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, and it made a lot of waves. Um, yeah. And maybe maybe rightfully so. But what I find very ironic is that there's been very little noise made about these programs. And we're not talking about $20 million or $25 million loans to a restaurant change. We're talking about some of the biggest publicly traded companies 
taking tens, potentially tens of billions of dollars. And this is on a <coughs> magnitude of what we saw um, with Shake Shack or the $25 million went to the Kennedy Center, which I understand the outrage, but $25 million, okay, that's a problem. We're talking about potentially trillions through this and you barely hear a peep. Yeah, yeah. Well, and in fairness, it hasn't got really gotten cranked up yet, so we can't we can't know. But we're talking about potentially another trillion or so just in one of the programs. Um, I think one of them right now is maxed out for 600 billion. But I mean, it, it's not as though Congress is stepping in and saying you can't go over 600 billion. That's the Fed deciding that it's going to stop at 600 billion, uh, and that means that they can decide they're going to go over 600 billion when they need to or want to. Um, the the amounts are potentially much larger, as you say, and if this is one of the reasons that the Fed shouldn't be involved in this, um, and I think they know that. I don't know that they they feel like maybe they feel like they don't have a choice right now, and that's why they're doing it. But um, this is this is exactly the sort of political problem that they're faced with. Everybody in Congress at some point is going to say, well, why did you give this company money and not that company? What about this company district? And what about this company over here that's minority owned or women owned or 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 um, that provides green energy instead of the gas company? Or Ted Cruz is going to say, well, wait, what about the oil companies in Texas? <laughs> there the Fed is just getting into a hornet's nest that they don't need to, quite frankly. Yeah, I think one of the uh, one of the, uh, the biggest examples of the smoke and mirrors throughout this process too is that we're talking about uh, if the Fed goes ahead and lends to one of these companies, and let's say they don't pay it back, um, how are we going to make the Federal Reserve whole? And uh, if you look buried into that legislative package, were these things called special purpose vehicles that would basically set aside. 50, 40, 50 billion dollars of taxpayer money. They'd set it aside basically in escrow. And if these loans that the Federal Reserve extends go belly up, well, we'll just take money out of that pot that's been set aside by by Congress to make good on those losses. And it's it's really uh, allowed this bailout to be a magnitude of what the actual sticker price was, which was already the the biggest spending package in in the history of mankind. Um, and it was uh, it really allowed our our Congress people to to uh, offload that responsibility and mask the true cost of this and, and the uh, yeah. extent of the special favors that are being given. No, that's right. That's exactly right. It puts them in a bad spot and it's it's it puts us taxpayers in the potential to spot where they will lose a lot more than Congress put at risk. Uh, but in the end, that does come back. So it's, it's just an off-budget sort of sleight of hand um, and it's not good transparent government. So I one more question I wanted to ask you before you give some closing remarks and then we can open it up to uh, questions. Um, on that last component, uh, this is a, the municipal liquidity facility. This is just getting underway. You've already mentioned this has been to purchase short-term government debt. There is now a push uh, by a bipartisan group of senators to have the Federal Reserve not just lend to, uh, to municipalities to get them through the next three months as tax payments are delayed, but now uh, there's, a, there's, there's a bipartisan calls on the Federal Reserve to lend in a long-term fashion to cities, to states, and to counties. What are your thoughts on that, and what kind of risks uh, do you perceive to be associated with that type of a lending operation to states and cities? Sure. I, I mean, my thoughts are the same. Whether it was short-term or long-term, it's a problem. Um, this is not a road that you would think they would want to go down. Um, 
and for the life of me, I don't know why they, they, they're going. Um, but the ramifications are exactly the same. Um, the, the, real, the underlying reason and implication is that if the Fed's holding these bonds, the state and locality or state or locality doesn't have to pay it back. Um, and that's where the pressure is going to come from. You know, you're not going to go into a, say, city like Baltimore or Chicago, who is where the government's in trouble. Um, they've been losing money for the last 10, 15 years. They're, they're in debt up to their eyeballs. And now the Fed's going to buy a bunch of their bonds. What's going to happen in Congress? I mean, come on, look. What's going to happen in D.C.? They're going to get pressured like crazy to forgive those loans. That's why they're doing this. And I don't know if they already know what they're going to do or not, but I know what's going to happen. And, uh, and Norbert, it turns out that actually was the, the first question. I just didn't realize it. And I just had a, a related question oh. to that. Now that you mentioned the great state of Illinois, of course, Illinois has, uh, I used to do quite a workout uh, in Springfield on occasion. Uh, they've got number one, one of the worst, worst uh, funded public sector pension programs in the in the entire nation. Uh, mm -hmm. But number two, they they've been in arrears on current liabilities to vendors to the tune of more than a billion dollars at times, which uh, seems to suggest that it might be safe to say the state of Illinois is not solvent. But within the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Reserve Act, it, it very clearly says, unless I'm misreading, it very clearly says. The, the Fed can only lend to solvent institutions. So how is it, uh, what, what is the, uh, the legal justification, if you will, for the Fed to be extending credit to these state governments that are insolvent? Um, am I missing something here? Well, it, so there's a provision uh, under whether, and it depends on part, in part whether they're doing this under the emergency lending authority or not. In many cases they are, um, but along with that provision, they are able to make loans um, if they are secure, if, if the Fed feels they're secure, and if the Fed feels confident that they're, they're making a good loan. Well, there's all kinds of ways around that, right? Or there's all kinds of ways to define that. Um, best case example is the mortgage-backed securities that they bought in 2008. Well, what do those come with? Those come with an implicit treasury guarantee. You don't need a you don't need a better guarantee than that, right? Yeah. So therefore, we have we're secure. Our collateral is good, so we can buy them. So is this where the the same special thing, purpose? The uh, is, is that, that with, It's the same thing with the local governments. You have uh, you have a local government that's an operating local government that has the ability to tax people. So you could you can you can make a case for. Uh, there being good, secure collateral and a valid reason to make the loan. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that that you can get away with that. Well, and uh, the Chicago suburbs seem to be taking that to heart with some of these property tax payments that exceed mortgage payments. It's 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 uh, crazy. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts before we move on to uh, the the questions? And we have a number of them in the queue here. Uh, my only closing thought is that I know a lot of this stuff is absolutely seems absolutely crazy, um, but this is an unprecedented time. And I do believe that if things were to get better quickly um, and they, they, they don't go to the max with these facilities and they don't just keep making more and more and more, I don't think it's so bad that they can't walk back. 
Um, I think the long-term implications are worse. Um, you know, now now that you've now that they've set this precedent, they'll be pushed and pushed and pushed to do it more and more and more. Uh, and I think that's a bigger danger than 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 where we are right at this moment. All right, th thank you, Norbert. And uh, before thank we go you. to the Q and A, um, we're going to put those uh, poll results here on the screen, and it appears that a plurality of our audience chose the correct answer. Over the past few months, the Federal Reserve balance sheet has increased by uh, more than two and a half trillion dollars, which, uh, interesting side note, we get lost in these numbers. That's actually a number that is in excess of the um, stimulus aid packages that have already been passed by Congress. The Federal Reserve actions actually exceed what Congress approved to be on the books with the federal um, budget. It's a, an astounding uh, number. Um, so let's get to a few of these, the questions from the audience. Uh, can the Federal Reserve buy equities on a temporary basis from companies which are in difficulty but are solvent? And has this happened before in the history of the United States? And has this happened elsewhere uh, with central banks across the world? You, you want me to do that, Joel? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, they can buy equities. Um, the key is what sort of collateral they think they have and that sort of thing. Um, there are a bunch of caveats, but they can buy equities. They, I, can, I cannot answer truthfully. I believe other central banks somewhere in the world have done this. I believe that's happened. ECB maybe. I could not swear to that. Um, and the Fed it's not normal. It doesn't happen often, but I, I, I still would feel uncomfortable saying that they've never done it because I suspect that it has happened in the past. Um, but I, I, it's not normal. It's very rare. Yeah. Um, we, I know. In, in, I they think definitely have the authority to do it. Wow. Um, I know in Japan, I think the, the central bank there is engaged in buying of exchange-traded funds, which allows for basically an indirect stake in, in those companies. But at least uh, yeah. they can absolve themselves from some of the possibilities of cronyism or favoritism, but it still results in an inflated yeah. asset bubble. That's right. No, that's right. And then the Fed did just start doing the, an, an ETF um, just the other day. I think they, they announced they were going to start doing that. Yeah, it was actually quite interesting to look at the uh, the price change during the day. They had one of their biggest price moves ever in that ETF because there was so much money flooding in. Of course, when they go ahead and buy, it's just like buying a mutual fund, right? You go ahead and put money in a mutual fund. They then have to go ahead and increase um, ownership of all the shares of all the funds in the portfolio. And we see the same thing now with uh, with those bond funds. It showed up on yeah. the screen. It was uh, quite, quite amazing. Uh, Hold on one second here. I'm scrolling through. So uh, following the 2008 crisis, a uh, majority of the TARP money was paid back to the Federal Reserve. Um, do you have any, uh, uh, I, I guess, gut feeling based on your expertise um, that these businesses will fail to repay the funds they're receiving from the Fed through that alphabet soup of, uh, of lending facilities that we discussed earlier? Sure. I mean, first of all, I think it's important to point out that whether they get paid back or not, that's a cash flow issue. And that's only a cash flow issue. So 
we want to talk about the true cost, it's more than just whether they get paid back and whether they get paid back on time. Uh, the implications and the opportunity cost are also quite large. And you know, to figure out whether they actually did okay with this, we would need to know that. Now, all that said, um, I think that this is dangerous in the sense that we have literally every state in the union uh, closing down businesses. So you're, 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 we've, we've created for good or, you know, for better or worse, whether it was necessary or not, I'm not making that judgment. I'm just saying that's what we've got, right? So we've got all the businesses being prevented from operating. So you know there are going to be business failures. I mean, that's a given. Uh, you've got people scared to death to go, you know, to go outside and, and go places and go sit in the restaurant. So you're going to have business failures. So there's a very, very, very high risk that some of these loans won't be paid back. Um, there's, there's no doubt there's, there's a high risk, yes. Uh, and I am concerned that that's going to happen. And I am concerned that it's going to end up setting a precedent that um, that it doesn't matter that if we get in trouble, the Fed can just bail us out. And I think that the long-term implications of that are very, very, very bad for the Fed, both in terms of monetary policy and just political policy. Um, uh, this puts them in a position that they're not supposed to be in. Um, and that I, I frankly don't think they really want to be in. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction to be made between past uh, eras of crisis, such as the Great Depression and now, and we're at a, a point where our unemployment rate actually might exceed that of the Great Depression. We might see an economic contraction this quarter that rivals what we saw uh, throughout, the, throughout that era. But you said the causes are different here. Whereas yep. then we, we had an issue with actually having a, a credit crisis that was in part caused by uh, the central bank, where in this case, we are intentionally, whether it's right or wrong, we are intentionally depressing economic output, the supply, and also right. the demand. And so there's only, compared to past eras in which the central bank actually triggered these crises, this is one where they actually didn't cause it. Local right. governments, state governments have brought it upon themselves and with great intentions, but they brought it upon yep. themselves and we're, we're limited as far as uh, combating it with monetary policy. That's right. And the notion that you can close down a bunch of, you know, 30%, 50%, 70% of the businesses in the country and just have the Fed make payroll, you know, for the rest of the year, that, that's, a, that's a fantasy. That, that doesn't work. Ultimately, there's no way to make everybody whole when we are actually not permitting output to that's come right. anywhere close to where we were just a few months ago. That's right. You can make people's checking accounts whole, but well, what good is the money if you can't actually go to the store and buy your, your? Uh, I mean, I was there to, I was there the other night trying to buy uh, hamburgers for for a small cookout within social distancing parameters, and actually <laughs> they didn't have the burgers I wanted. So I got, I have the money in my pocket, the product isn't there because of uh, all, all mm -hmm. of the issues with with this crisis. That's right. The money doesn't create all the new resources, all the resources that you need, um, and then you have a resource problem, and you keep throwing money at it, keep throwing money at it you know what's gonna happen eventually, you know? And I'm not saying that we need to worry about inflation right now, um, but that's what you end up with. You end up with too much money chasing too few goods. Yeah, so I, I've got uh, one last question here, but it's it's a more of a complicated one, it's a two-parter. 
from two people, but I wanted to get both of these in because I think they are important. The one you just touched on, um, you said you don't think uh, the inflation concerns are a problem right now. What would cause this massive money printing to become an inflation problem? And tied in with that um, is this, uh, the newer concept of modern monetary theory where you can print money at will and to go ahead and stop inflation, you can go ahead and reel that money back in by increasing interest rates or taxing the money out of the system so you don't have that currency floating around out there. Can you tackle both of those questions at once? Uh, I'll try. <laughs> um, that's a lot, Joel. Um, Let's do the inflation one, one first. I know that's uh, something a lot of folks have been asking uh, about the last few of these webinars. Okay. I mean, they are they are related, though. And I think, and the reason that let me let me try this. So the reason that MMT doesn't work is for the reason that uh, you need to be worried about long term. You need to be worried about inflation, because it's the the idea that the Fed or Congress or anybody else knows exactly how much money to put into the economy right now and exactly when to take it out at exactly what rate is a complete fantasy. We don't, they don't. That's not how that's gonna work. So we might get lucky, but we might not. And the might not part is where you have an enormous amount of cash sitting there looking to go somewhere. Um, and if the rate of return in the economy goes up, if people start having more opportunities, businesses start coming back, interest rates are gonna go up. If the demand for treasuries drops, um, then, rates are going to go up okay i mean like that's like that's how that works and the fed doesn't control that the fed can influence it but the fed can't control it um so it it, it it's it's it it is always a problem of down the road and we never really know exactly when down the road is going to hit and it's going to be just fine unless it's not and it's going to be just fine until the moment that it's not. And you know, it's it's very, very difficult to forecast anything in economics, and it's incredibly difficult to forecast when that happens, when this inflation problem would happen, or when this sort of like a default problem would happen. Uh, same thing. It's very, very difficult to forecast exactly when that would happen. It's pretty much unknowable. The danger is certainly there though. And the idea seems the, the, the fault in the idea is exactly the same. The idea is that you can just print all you want and pay for everything you want, and you don't have to worry about anything. You're not gonna dislocate anything. You're not going to have disparities in who you're taxing and how you're taxing, and, 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 and we're gonna keep inflation exactly where we want it. It's not gonna be a problem. We know from history that that's not how that works. Yeah, and, and I think we've been thankful in this country to have relatively stable leadership, despite the crises on occasion. Uh, but even over the past 20 years, we've seen just what you were talking about. It's just, it's fine until it's not. And when we, we saw that happen yeah. across Europe, particularly uh, in Greece, it seems like an eternity ago, right? The pigs, right? Portugal and Italy and Greece and Spain, it happened there. And then to a bigger extreme, we've seen this happen in South America. I'm not just talking about Venezuela, but even uh, more democratic countries, uh, such as uh, Argentina. Um, in years right. past where everything seemed fine until it wasn't. And it happened uh, pretty quickly, so. Um, That's right. And I'll just, I'll throw in too, what people are don't, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the Fed has a new operating system. 
And their monetary control, whether they can control inflation and their, hit their macro targets, depends on whether they pay interest on excess reserves. Like that's the whole key. So let's let's go back to that scenario where the Fed keeps doing this. We're printing money like crazy to make all these loans, and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, people somewhere decide this is getting out of hand. I don't want treasuries. I'm selling my treasuries. And then everybody's selling their treasuries. That's what I mean by demand dropping, right? Well, the price is going to drop and the interest rate is going to go up. Well, at that point, the Fed has to pay more interest on those excess reserves to keep things in check. And the higher the rates go, the more they have to pay. And what does that mean? That means that you have a public specter of the Fed literally paying billions and billions of dollars to large financial institutions. How long do you think that's going to work? And how well do you think that's going to work? This is this is uh, they've they've put themselves in a bad spot long term, and hopefully the current crisis kind of passes relatively quickly and we get out of this, and there won't be a big problem, you know, immediately there won't be a big problem. Um, but I don't really see it working out so smoothly. I'm not so, making so since inflation prediction. I'm just I don't I think it's going to be so smooth. So a big, a big part of that risk is we have the money that's been printed. It's not yet a danger because it ends up on deposit at the banks and they're not immediately lending it out because there's there, there are fewer people wanting the loans right now, fewer businesses that want to make massive investments and banks are fearful. But once we begin to calm down and this passes and that demand increases, suddenly right. a few extra trillion that's been printed ends up multiplying because people end up loaning it, depositing it, and it has this multiplier effect. And that's where we end up in some hot water longer term. That's where the danger is. They're betting that they can control that process and mitigate that process. And to some extent they certainly can, but the ramifications are still larger than just, you know, we can control it. Uh, it does, it's, not, it's not that simple. Well, I wanna thank uh, you Norbert for joining me and the Heritage Foundation, thank everybody you, who's on this call. Um, I know there's, there's a lot there to process. Uh, thankfully, uh, our, our legislators do have uh, some actually quite a bit of power to to mitigate some of these risks but it's going to take understanding those risks and uh, defining defining the powers uh, that the federal reserve have to actually operate in these circumstances and hopefully they'll take a close look at that as time goes forward and and maybe in light of this pandemic once it passes so thank you all for being here and hope to see you again soon in person next time